It's almost intimidating. Everybody just sits down when you walk up. Hey, everybody, how are you today? <laughs> we are in the midst of beginning a new series, Facing Giants. Um, just going to be kind of working through the end of uh, Pastor George's message from last week. So I just want to walk through a few things that we uh, learned from last week and just facing our giants. One is that we need to know that our giants, there, when what the definition of what a giant is, is something bigger than you can handle by yourself. It's something bigger than you can handle on your own. Giants are real. Giants are intimidating. Giants, they're there when you go to bed at night, and they're there when you wake up in the morning. They're just that knot in your stomach that you know you just can't get rid of. They're that thing that you just feel like, oh man, what is this burden on my back? It's a giant. But there's a th couple things about giants that we need to remember. Giants can be gateways to growth. They're nothing that we really want to have, but they can be opportunities to be able to see God work. But how do we effectively face our giants? Boy, that's the question that I think we all need to ask. And it's one that I think that we need to answer really together corporately. And I want to give you a few ideas. One is that we have to be faithful in the little things. Oh, it's those little things that literally can just take us out. You know those little things? It's that phone call you need to make to a friend that you know has fallen off the edge. It's that call that you know you don't want to make because you're worried and a little burdensome for him. Or it's that call that you need to call them because you know you need to say you're sorry. It's that conversation you got to have with your wife that, or your husband that you know that it's going to be a hard one, but you have to have. And you can't wait till vacation. It's that conversation you got to have with one of your kids that if you don't have it, you're just going to want to wring their neck. But that's just my kids, so maybe not yours. But the thing is, it's those small things that will end up becoming huge. They go from being a troll to a giant so fast. The other part of that is that when we face them, we have to literally initiate. We have to take action. If we don't take action with our giants, then what will happen is we will end up letting down and failing and falling to those giants. But it's that step by step. It's just that place where we know we can reach out and we can do it. The other thing is that we have to realize that we can't be deterred by discouragers. When we face giants, it is so easy to get discouraged because the world is just full of people who are ready to tell you it can't be done. And if it can be done, it can't be done by you. It is just that thing that happens so easy. I came up with this cool little story about discouraging and dogs and all that thing, but man, I kept all week long, kept going back to what's that person in my life that's been so discouraging? Don't you have one? I have one. I still remember it, man. I was in high school, literally getting called into the counselor's office to sit down with a teacher and my dad. And I remember this teacher telling me that I was no good and I won't even be good enough to pick up garbage at Reynolds Aluminum Plant. And man, I'll never forget that. Man, that whole year just took an edge and just went down the tube. Man, I didn't go, I didn't finish the season for swimming. I didn't go out for the other stuff that I wanted to do. It just ended up being crud. 
because of that crazy thing. Now, don't get me wrong. I earned some of what he said because I was achieving a good D in that class. <laughs> Thanks for laughing. Um, <laughs> we had the same class. Um, it was a class that it was Spanish. My name was Nacho because Dorito was taken. So that tells you a whole lot about the class. And it also tells you more about me than you want to know. But, uh, <laughs> como estas? But the thing about it, that's about all I remember. But the thing about it is that, man, I earned it, but I didn't earn the harshness of those words. Discouragers are all around us. You can see them all over. And maybe you have one in your life. Maybe that person just came up into your head and all of a sudden you're 15 again sitting in that green chair in that classroom. Or maybe you're sitting in the car when you got those words of we're done. I don't know for you, but it's so easy to find. In scripture, there's discouragers. We see throughout God's word, the Bible, that we can even see within the things that we face in this life that there are people and places and characters that we can relate to. And one of those, man, I kept going, getting drawn back to this part in Scripture where we just came out of with Joseph, but really now we've sped up and Moses has just taken Israel, the Israelites out of Egypt where they escaped slavery. God had literally opened the Red Sea and taken them on the journey to the Promised Land. And God said just a few words. He said, the, I have given you the land. Pick 12, one person from each of the 12 tribes to go check it out. That's what he said. I have given you the land. Pick out one from all the 12 tribes to go look at it and report back to us what they find. Don't you remember, if you've been around church for a while or in Sunday school, you remember that song? Twelve men went to spy on Canaan, ten more bad and two were good. Anybody remember that? <laughs> That's it, man. I was in Sunday school. All right. But the thing about it is that I still remember that song. And out of that song comes this moment of great discouragement for the people of Israel. But really, it's a great point for us to learn. See, out of the twelve spies, ten were bad and two were good. The two good ones were Joshua and Caleb. If you want to read the story, read, you can write it down in your life notes, Numbers 13 and 14. Great story. Great principles with how to live. But as they came out of looking at the promised land, Joshua and Caleb reported this back. We went into the land which we were sent to, and it does flow with milk and honey. Here is its fruit. Taste it and see. Now, the people who live there, they're big, and their cities are fortified, and they're very large. We even saw descendants of Enoch there. It was pretty positive, right? I mean, they said there's a land of milk and honey. They were saying, well, it's big, and there's people there, but, but here's what the other ten said. And I have to use the word but because this is what they reported back. The land we traveled through and explored will devour anyone. Anyone who goes there will be devoured. All the people we saw were huge. We even saw giants there, the descendants of Anak. Next to them, we felt like grasshoppers, and that's what they thought too. After they got done saying that, literally, negativity spread throughout the camp of the Jews. And this is what it says about the Israelites. 
in chapter 14, the whole community was in uproar, wailing all night long. All the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The entire community was in on it. Why didn't we die in Egypt? Why are we dying in the wilderness? Why has God brought us to this country to kill us? Our wives and children are about to become plunder. Why don't we just head back to Egypt right now? Soon they were all saying this to one another. Let's go back to Egypt and we need a new leader. As a result, they spent the next 40 years wandering the desert. Let me just give you a quick truth from that. If you want to know how to take an 11-day journey and turn it into 40 years, you've got the answer. Let me just say that. What would have been 11 days turned into 40 years. God still walked with them in those 40 years, but they ended up taking that journey for 40 years because they didn't listen. Remember what God said. God said, I have given you the land, did he not? He didn't say you have to go conquer it. He didn't say you have to go steal it. He didn't say you have to do anything. You just need to go. He didn't say anything. I have given it to you. It was already theirs to have. Don't you think the God who saved them from slavery was not going to take care of them? The God who literally just miraculously opened up the Red Sea, don't you think he would care for them? But instead, they heard the negativity. They heard they're big and they're bold and we're grasshoppers and they're going to smush us. But isn't that how it is even in our lives? What's that giant that we face? We know that God has said that he has began a good work in us and he is faithful to complete it, but yet we don't really believe it. We believe that God's word is true, but we don't really want to truly accept it. We know that he loves us, but we don't really live like he loves us because it's so easy to listen to the discouragers. Well, let me get back to David and our story of what the message really is. Welcome to Mike's ADD moment. But David had his discouragers among them, Eliab and King Saul. Let's look at verse 28. When Eliab, David's older brother, heard him speaking to the men, he burned with anger and asked, Why have you come down here? And with whom did you leave those few sheep in the desert? I know how conceited you are and how wicked your heart is. You come down only to watch the battle. Doesn't that sound like a jealous big brother? You see, kind of on a side note, when someone tells you it can't be done, just remember that often it is more a reflection of their limitations, not yours. See, Eliab tried to deter David, and he questioned David's motives. Why are you here? You're only here because you want to see the battle. You just want to see the blood and guts. Why are you saying the things that you did? He cuts right to David's heart. And I believe because Eliab was jealous. Eliab had a bigger giant that he was facing than Goliath. Eliab's giant of jealousy is seen here. Because I believe that Eliab... See, the story of David is pretty interesting. Saul gave up. Literally, God removed him from being king. He was still king, but God removed his anointing because Saul chose, 
He didn't choose obedience. He didn't obey God, so God removed his anointing. He was still king, but then he told Samuel, Samuel was a prophet. The book of Samuel and 1 and 2 Samuel are really called 1 and 2 Samuel because of Samuel and what he did. Samuel was a prophet. He heard from God and spoke to the people. Samuel was tasked to go and anoint a new king. He went to the house of Jesse. Jesse is David's father and Eliab's father. There were eight sons. And he anointed not the oldest, Eliab, or the other sons. Instead, it said that he anointed the ruddy young one. But it did say he was good looking. And he anointed David. Because David had a heart after God. So Eliab, he was the oldest. He should have been king. The anointing should have been his. He acted like it. He had responsibility. He should be the one. And I wonder if in his heart of hearts, he went right back there. That's just my opinion. But I think about how easy it is when someone gets success around us and we end up thinking, oh man, look at what they got. You ever have that? Some one of your buddies gets a new car and you're like, yep, back to the Pinto for me. I had a Pinto, so there you go. And it was orange, no less. So, yeah, thanks. Everybody knew you were driving what you were driving. So, there it is. But the thing about it is that it's so easy to get jealous. Man, why does he have that? Why do they have that? It's so easy to get critical of others when we are dealing with deeper issues. Issues that we need to submit to the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, let's move on. After the pep talk that David got from Eliab, he enjoys another talk from the Saul. King Saul takes him into his tent, and he has this conversation with David we see in verse 33. Let's look at it. Saul replied, you are not able to go out against the, this Philistine and fight him. You are only a boy, and he has been a fighting man from his youth. The discouragement just keeps on coming for David, doesn't it? Saul was king, and you would think that if anyone was excited to go into battle and hold his hand up and say, let's go fight, it would have been Saul. Saul, it says, was head and shoulders above any other man. He was a warrior. He should have been the one who said, let's go to battle. But I also think that Saul had his own giant, a giant of fear and insecurity. That giant so faced him in his life. And you see him cowering. But I do believe that inside his gut, inside his heart of hearts, he knew that he was supposed to have that mantle of authority and fight. But instead, he was prideful and he put down his sword. And yet, this young man is holding it up because he knew who he was fighting for. The Lord and not some man. But there's an important life principle when we face the giants that we face in our life that we see from the story. One is we've got to be careful who you listen to. And we need to be careful whom we choose to hang around with. Young and old, we need to hear that. Who are you listening to? What is the voice that is going through your head? What are the people that you're allowing to speak into your life? Because every person who has never killed a giant will tell you that it's impossible. The whole thing of, if you're not happy, you should just leave. Oh, 
I tried my best to save my marriage after an affair, but it just can't happen. Oh, you know, I tried my best to break that habit, but it just didn't happen, so don't worry about it. I tried my best to get out of debt, but I couldn't. Don't worry about it. It's so easy to fall into that. It's so easy to fall into thinking that it can't be done when we listen to the wrong people. Are you listening to the words of man or are you listening to the words of God? You see, there's this principle called the scarcity principle. The scarcity principle or perspective, I'm not talking health and wealth. What I'm speaking about is scarcity. They are the ones that come to believe that another person's success diminishes our own. And that we measure our level of success by failure by comparison to others. It can be seen in crab in a bucket. I don't know if you've ever heard of crabs in a bucket, but it's an age-old truth that there's this theory about the behavior of crabs. There you go, crabs in a bucket right behind me. Makes you hungry for lunch, right? But the thing about it is that if you put one crab in a bucket, he will find his way out. But if you put more than one crab in a bucket, they will never escape. Oh, they'll put their claw up. But literally, the one who tries to escape will get taken and clawed back in, literally into the bucket. To the point where if he keeps trying to get out, the other crabs will kill him. So he won't leave. In fact, the other crabs will murder the crab that tries to leave. How easy that is to think about. It is literally called the crab mentality. And it is a metaphor for a human response to others who are growing and developing and facing life's giants. You see, when people see others advancing themselves, they subconsciously find a way to reach out and hold them back. It's a little like this slide. It's those hands saying, oh, no, you can't. Just forget it. Think it over. Just relax. You don't need to. How easy it is. To get pulled back by one of those hands or be one of those hands to another. Listen, whatever giant you are facing, others have faced it. Some successfully and others unsuccessfully, but they have faced those giants. So listen to the ones who will tell you it can be done. Not to the ones who say it can't. Don't be deterred by discouragers. And one of the ways to keep discouragers from discouraging you is to remember past victories to have confidence in future victories. You see, past victories give us confidence when we look correct, correctly at the past successes. It gives us hope for future. See, David's confidence level was off the charts. When David was getting ready to face Goliath, the rest of the army was afraid, saying, Goliath is so big, he's going to crush us. But David, he looked at Goliath, and he said, he is so big, I can't miss him. <laughs> See, David had a confidence and a strength, knowing that the battle belonged to the Lord. And ultimately, his confidence was in the Lord, not himself. Just look at verse 37. The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the bear and the paw of the lion, or turn those around, sorry, will deliver me from the hand of the Philistine. 
the Lord who delivered me. Underline that, circle it, whatever you have to do. The Lord who delivered me. His success was not in the fact that he was able to be so strong and mighty. His success was in the Lord who delivered him. I love the way that Max Lucado put it in his book, Facing Giants. He said, if you focus on giants, you will stumble. But if you focus on God, your giants will tumble. That's just so good. It's so good because our confidence must ultimately be in God. In fact, you see that with David. In 1 Samuel 17, he references Goliath twice. Once when he's talking to Saul, and the next time is literally when he's in battle with Goliath. But he mentions God nine times. So make no mistakes about it. David is focused and has unparalleled confidence in God. David also had a self-confidence too. And I believe that you need both. I believe in order to take action, to take care and defeat your giants, you have to have a confidence in God, but you also have a self-confidence that comes from him. A motivation to move forward. What I'm saying is, yes, you have to go to the Lord in prayer, but God, I believe, wants us to move and have action. Because often what we want God to do for us he does through us. We have to move forward in trusting him. It's a little bit like that James thing, faith without works is dead. Yes, that's talking about doing action, but it means that we have to put it into action. The giant that we may be facing, yes, we are to give it to the Lord. We also need to take the steps to defeat that. And it's not about pride. Because the thing about pride is pride will become that giant. If you think you can do it all on your own, let me just assure you, you're going to end up all on your own. You will fall down flat on your face. So put your confidence in the Lord, not in yourself. Remember your past victories. Remember how God used you in the past. Remember that he, what he has done through you. Remember the stories that you have heard, the things that can give us confidence. But go to his word, the Bible, to be able to find your confidence if you can't find it in your own. Or if you don't have past victories, begin to write them down. Begin to look at God's word to be able to see how he has revealed victories to us through his word, the Bible. Time out. A side note, I am a fan of journaling. If you don't journal, please journal. Why I'm a fan is because journaling allows you to be able to write things down. Being able to write things down every day of those past victories. Now, journaling can be so easy. Who's got an iPhone? All right, raise your hand. Everybody say yes if you have one. All right, if you have an Android, I'm sorry. But... Um, <laughs> Hey, anytime they have operating systems named after candy. If I had one of those phones, I'd weigh 900 pounds. But the thing is, is that, think about it. But the thing is, you can literally grab your phone and say, hey, i got to stop this because my iPad goes, hey, Siri, whenever I had, there's nine notes now. Hey, Siri, notes. God, give me a parking spot. Hey, Siri, Susie just called and said she got great word from the doctor. Hey, Siri, we paid all the bills this month and put 50 extra bucks on the credit card. Hey, Siri, 
God took care of it and we got new tires. Hey, Siri, there's hope and this is what it is. And then look back at those notes when you get discouraged. Look back at those notes when you feel like you were totally alone. I know it sounds so preachery for me to be able to sit up here and say, yeah, whatever, Pastor Mike, I know it works for you. No, it does work for me because I put my trust in him because there are dark days and sometimes days suck. But you know what? My trust is not in the day. It is in the Lord Jesus Christ and what he did on the cross. And because his blood was shed, I know that there's hope. So whatever you're facing in this life, understand, don't be discouraged. Know that there are victories, and the victory is the Lord's, not yours. David put his trust in God, and when he did, incredible things happen. Don't look about how big your giant may be, but instead, sit back, stand up, and say, my giant is so big, I can't miss him. You see, we also need to reject human solutions. There's always, always, always going to be a solution that the world or this culture that we swim in is going to offer you. There always will be. Let's just look at one. Verse 38. Saul dressed David in his own tunic. He put a coat of armor and a bronze helmet on his head. Let me pause there for a second. If you don't know... God's word says that Saul was a head and shoulders above any other man. So, I'm 6'3". So that means he was a head and shoulders above me. In fact, some historical accounts put Saul at being 6'7 to 7 feet tall. Saul was no small guy. So here he is taking a 46 extra large, extra long tunic and sticking it on a small... David was lucky to be a small in men's if he was lucky. So here's this ruddy little dude wearing these giant clothes that weigh 100 pounds. But isn't that just like the world? Isn't that just like it? It represents literally what the world says to us. The world goes on and always has a solution. It always does. You run into a problem, lie about it. You don't need to own it. Just lie about it. If you're not happy with your marriage, go have an affair. If you are struggling with an issue, well, you know what? (laughs) Just fall into whatever you want. Just go out for drinks. You can ignore it. It'll be around. You never have to deal with that. You can just go ahead and leave it. Just feed that addictive fire so that you won't have to face what stands before you. That's just the world. It's the culture we swim in. We get so anesthetized by Facebook and the media and Twitter and all this other junk that all of a sudden that's our life instead of living right in front of us and engaging in the conversations that we need to have. I'm guilty of it. My wife calls my phone iPhona. I'm not kidding. But you have to make those choices to not go to what the world says. Don't allow the world to speak into your ear. Allow God and his word, the Bible, to speak to you. Just like what David said in Psalm 119, I hide the word of God in my heart so I will not sin against you. When giants come lumbering into our lives, our solutions had better go deeper than what is offered outside these walls in the world. And when we do rely on God, we are able to see that we can use what God has already given us. What God has already given you. 
You see, just as the world always has a solution, God always has a solution. You see, he always does. Look at verse 40. It says, with his sling in his hand, David approached the Philistine. Now, I know that seems small and a little bit odd. But with his sling in his hand, he approached the Philistine. David didn't take a crash course. (laughs) He didn't hop on YouTube and figure out how to kill a giant in three easy steps. It's not like fixing your washing machine or being able to fix your car. David did none of that. But with his sling in his hand, David approached Goliath and he approached the giant. He walked right up to that giant. Going back to another story of Moses and Israel. You remember Moses? Moses was born in Egypt. He was born in Egypt and he was raised literally as a prince. He realized who he really was and he went and ran out of Egypt and he lived in the wilderness for 40 years. During that 40-year time, God approached Moses in a burning bush. And God spoke to him. And when he spoke to Moses with a, in a burning bush, if you remember the story, Moses had a staff, a rod, or some translations say a stick in his hand. And God said this, what's this in your hand? Moses said, it's just a rod, a staff, a stick. And God had Moses throw it down onto the ground. And it became a snake. And then he told him to pick it up, and it became a rod again. See, God takes something very familiar, and he begins to use it to illustrate whatever we have going on in our lives. Whatever you have at your disposal, when you place it into God's hands, and you see what he can do with it, he can do amazing things. So God took that stick that staff. And you know, it was never referred to again as Moses's. It wasn't. It's referred to as the rod of God or the staff of God. You see, God took that staff. He, Moses had to trust and say, okay, God, I have no idea what you're going to do. But when he did, God took the ordinary and turned it into the extraordinary. You see, with that rod, Moses was able to stamp the ground and it turned the river Nile into blood. With that staff, he was able to raise it up and the Red Sea departed. With that staff, when Israel had no water, he hit the rock at Mizpah and water flowed. You see, God takes the ordinary and turns it into the extraordinary when we trust him. What in your life do you think is so ordinary Or maybe we are all just ordinary people. And God wants to do the extraordinary with us. When we trust him with all of our heart. When we lean not on our understanding. And we acknowledge him. God, we need your help. And then he shows up and does amazing things. But that's how God is. And that's what God does. Because God is all about doing that. And that's the wonders about that story. But there's another one just like it in John chapter 6. In John chapter 6, you remember that Jesus and his disciples were teaching. 
And Jesus had gotten done teaching, and there was over 5,000 that were still gathered. And the disciples came to him and said, we have to feed them. And there was no food to be found except for this little boy who had five loaves of barley and a few fish. And then this is what it says. And Jesus took the loaves and the fish in his hands. See, Jesus can do amazing things. And that's the point. When you put whatever you have in God's hands, he can do immeasurably more than we can imagine. In all your, our eyes, whatever we feel may not amount to much more than a stick. If you remember in the story, what was David called by Goliath? A stick. God can take the ordinary and turn it to the extraordinary. And that's why it says, with his sling in his hand, David approached Goliath. What do you have in your hand? What are you taking into the battle? You see, what God has given you to face the giants in your life, what are they? What has he given you? Has he given you a spouse who loves you and stands next to you? Has he given you a church that loves you or a life group that you can find support in? God has given us the ability not to be deterred by discouragers or remember past victories. We must focus upon him. We can reject human solutions, and we can use what he's given us. And last, we can verbalize victory before the battle begins. You see, check out David's victory of verbalization. Oh, I know it seems a little odd, but man, David, he knew what he was doing before it began. And he verbalized it. Look at verse 46. This day the Lord will hand you over to me. And I will strike you down and cut off your head. Today I will give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds of the air and the beasts of the earth. And the whole world will know that there is what? Oh, say it. There is a God in Israel. See, David didn't do anything on his own. But instead, he verbalized and said it was all about them knowing that there's a God in Israel. That ultimate expression of faith, that expression that he is acknowledging God and he's go what he's going to do before he ever does it. Hebrews 11 set one says what faith is. Faith is believing in what you hope for and certain of what you do not see. Faith is not believing God can do something. Faith is not believing God will do something. Faith is believing God is doing something. Being sure of what we hope for. Certain of what we do not see. You see, it was not the slingshot that gave David courage. It was his faith. It was not the stone that gave David composure. It was his faith. Goliath must have looked like a battleship compared to David. He is so tall and so big. The army must have looked so intimidating to David. They were the tactical army of their day. They were ready to go into battle. They had all the weapons. They were ready to engage. But David, he had the only weapon he needed. Oh, he had his slingshot. 
But he had God. He had a God who specialized in giant warfare. What they didn't have was faith. In facing the giants of our life, there will always be times where you feel like the army of Israel and you want to run and hide. Always. But there will be times when you think there is no way that you can face that giant. And you know what? You can't. You can't face that giant alone. You have to give your giant to Jesus. Whatever you're facing that you feel so alone, or maybe you feel so overwhelmed, have you given that giant to the Lord? And maybe your giant is you. Have you put your trust, your heart, your abilities, your marriage, your job, your children, you, in his hand? Because when you put yourself in his hand, he will do more than you can ever imagine. Why? Is because he made you in his image. He loves you. Just look to the cross if you ever doubt that. He began a good work in you, and he is faithful to complete it all the way till your death. And if you're a Christ follower, that's heaven. <laughs> so it's even better. Why? Because he loves you. So what are you facing? And what can you trust him with today? Let's pray. God, I am grateful that you are the author and perfecter of life. And no matter what we face, we can find hope when we put our trust in you. So I pray that if there's one in this room that is hurting or hindered, that they feel like their marriage is at the end, that you would bring restoration and peace to them. Lord, I pray if they feel so alone, and how in the world can they trust you because they've done it so many times before, I pray that they will look to your word, that you would give them strength and the determination to continue to trust you. And Lord, I am grateful for how you care for us and how we see you move in our lives every day. May we never forget it. Everyone, one thing that we do here at Abundant Life is every week we give the opportunity that if you do not know Jesus as your Lord and personal Savior, to be able to put your trust in him. Whatever giant you may be facing, whatever it is, that you can simply pray a simple prayer. And so I'm going to invite those who are Christ followers, and if you're not, to repeat these words after me. Dear Jesus, forgive me of my sin, and I put my trust in you, and I ask that you would be my Lord and Savior, the boss of my life. In Jesus' name, amen.